Welcome to the Midi Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Tuesday, October 1st. Happy October to our listeners out there. That is a crazy thought uh, that we are already that far in the calendar year. Obviously means the tennis season sort of coming to a close. I mean, tennis, an 11th month sport. That's a topic for another time. And joining me today to talk about today's topics, whatever it is we get into, it's always fun having her on uh, our most recent edition of the Crack Rackets team. Vicki Duvall, welcome back to the Mini Break Podcast. Yay! I'm so sorry I missed an episode last week, but I am back stronger than ever this week. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're allowed, it's in the Crack Rackets bylaws, if you're playing a professional event, you're allowed to skip the podcast. It's like the one rule we agreed on beforehand. So I think we totally understand. But clearly, the message I'm getting from you is that you're sick of talking to me alone. You like bringing in a third guest to mix it up. You're done with my dad jokes. And that is why I am so thrilled to bring in another guest for today's mini break podcast. Her accolades too long to list, former junior U.S. Open champion, two WTA singles titles to her name, of course the 2018 U.S. Open women doubles champion, a career high world number nine in WTA singles. For listeners who don't know, my body, 50% Reese's, the other 50% Cocoa Puffs, and that is why I am cuckoo to bring in today's Coco Vandaway. Coco, welcome to the Mini Break Podcast. I am glad you said Cocoa Puffs and not Pebbles because there's a huge difference. And <laughs> I am a Puffs fan, not a Pebbles fan. So, yes, I appreciate you guys having me, and it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, the Cocoa Pebbles are a false chocolate milk. Like the milk, because, you know, you're not eating It's it not as good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, how do we feel about Fruity Pebbles, though? Green pebbles are fine. I I like chocolate. I'm a chocolate lover. Um, so I definitely am all about the sweets of this cocoa puffs. Yeah, and I mean, I, I think it's been pretty clear that it was the TV commercials for me, and so for the tricks, tricks are for kids. Like, that was my fruity cereal I would turn to because I was a kid. Um, but I don't think people came here for cereal reviews, although we can save that maybe for later. I know they do want to hear from uh, you guys, and Coco, I want to start with you because I know last week you were down in Templeton, California for the uh, 60K event there, and I know you made a finals there uh, before losing in three to Shelby Rogers, but for you to get back on the court, have that result so early on in your comeback, how are you feeling? I'm feeling really good. I mean, the whole goal of me playing uh, these events, um, I haven't played a challenger event in a long time, and it's really just to get matches out there, and that's what I wanted to do. I haven't played a competitive uh, tournament before the U.S. Open for pretty much over a year where I felt absolutely healthy. Um, I don't know. For those who know, I've been injured pretty much since July. Well, not last July, but the July before that, uh, 2018, I believe that would be. And it's been ongoing injury after injury. So I'm happy just to be healthy and playing again when I really didn't think that was even a possibility. Coco, it was so funny when I saw you at the challenge. <laughs> I'm not going to say what you told me because that's just between us. <laughs> but obviously, every- <laughs> everyone was completely shocked to see you there. And um, how did it feel? Like you said, you haven't played a challenger in so, so long. Like, did you, was it kind of weird for you to be back or were you just kind of enjoying the moment there? I mean, I know it's been so long, like you said, since you've played a challenger. Yeah, I mean, it was a combination of both. Like, listen, I, I love playing tennis right now, and I'm enjoying playing tennis no matter where it is. And as bougie as it sounds, like, it's it was weird for me to be there and only have four balls to play with and not changing uh, seven and nine games and <laughs> having to pick up my own balls and having, you know, mediocre or – what I thought running line calling when they're running across the court and trying to call the far side from the other end of the court. It's just a lot of different things that I'm not used to in general, just because I haven't done it in so many years. And, you know, it's just, it's, it sounds bougie when I complain about it because it's like, I just used to, you know, as easy as a comparison, I'm used to staying at a five star and I just went down to a smaller, (laughs) you know, hotel, uh, (laughs) however that are, at Grand Slams and WTA events is the best of the best. So yeah. that it was 
So they had to ask questions like, um, why do you sign in? And what day does this tournament start? Um, am I calling my own lines? I couldn't remember how, how it all went down. I mean, like, that's how, like, amateur hour it was for me uh, yeah. showing up. I was like, I hadn't played a professional tournament before. Yeah. It was so interesting. Obviously, I was on the court um, when you were playing. I believe it was your quarterfinal match where you had a bit of a tiff with the umpire. Was it was that an incident where there was a line call or what was that all about? No, no. Actually, this is the most mundane um, point penalty I've ever gotten in my life <laughs> over like nothing. I mean, I, there's no secret. Uh, I definitely have had my fair share of mistakes out there on the court um but this one i it was a combination of a lot of things but this is my version of the story and we're going with that as the truth <laughs> and so i was playing playing the match and i missed the forehand i went oh sh-, you know just like stupid uh mistake and you know just out of like a reaction i was like oh sh-, coco you know like bad, bad choice bad shot whatever you know it wasn't it wasn't even like screaming it. It was just like more you scold yourself just to yourself because I was, yeah. I was actually in like a super great mood. <laughs> <this whole person. laughs> and I didn't, I didn't hear the chair umpire give me a warning for saying shit. And sorry for, for if anyone considers that a curse word, but I wasn't considering it a curse word. Um, one, I've heard it a million times playing tennis. I've said it a million times playing tennis. And yeah. It doesn't get beeped out on TV anymore. So, you know, for me, when I heard when I got the point penalty to get broken at four all, I was like, how did I get to this point? <laughs> so I said, oh, shit, to myself. More games go by. I'm serving at, at 4-4, and it's just one of those situations where it's just like two really horrendous calls in the same game that I'm serving at four all. And I was like, and I just said more to no one in particular than just to get some frustration out. I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm getting absolutely cheated out here. It's a pure robbery. <laughs> and, and the chair umpire gave me a point penalty, which ended up breaking my serve. Oh, gosh. And, and first of all, I was like, wait, wait, wait. I haven't even gotten a warning. That was my first grievance. I didn't know I got warned for saying <laughs> on the other side, like, on games ago I, I couldn't even remember when it happened and I was like you can't just go straight to a point and she's like yes I can I was like okay oh okay <laughs> let's, let's take a breather here guys like let's, let's let's not get into this let's just get the supervisor so I called out the supervisor and I and they have to speak to the chair umpire first before they speak to the player and so it's she gives her spiel of whatever's happening and he comes over to me and he's like, well, she gave you a warning for saying sh- earlier. And this is the first time I've heard this. I was like, oh, wait, I got a warning for saying sh-. Thanks, anybody. <laughs> like, what, what's happening? Like, uh, and he's like, well, I, I probably wouldn't give you a warning, but something you shouldn't say on a task score. I was like, okay, sure, fine. I Let's, let's just agree to that. Fine. But how's can I get a point then for saying like, oh, I'm getting asked. It's a pure robbery out here. I'm getting cheated. And he's like, well, she felt it was directed towards her directly. And I'll oh, like, so she's feeling victimized. And I'm for me just saying it flippantly. And now I'm getting a point and I got my serve broken because of it. And she's going to serve for the second set. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, that's how she was feeling. And I was like, okay, well, can you just stay here? I felt like I was back at a junior tournament where, like, you're playing a girl that's, like, absolutely hooking you. And you're like, can I get an umpire to just watch this court a little bit? You know, to make sure, like, nothing fishy is going on. And so I just asked the supervisor. I was like, hey, can you just stay for for the rest of the, the match if it's possible? I don't, I don't want anything else to buy because you know this i didn't hear the first one and the second one i disagree with i don't think it's that bad i don't think the first one's that bad anyway and so play on long story short won the match and i <laughs> shook the umpire's hand got off the court and that was it that was the big fiasco of it all <laughs> <laughs> no i mean 
We did. I, Fairly Odd Parents might be a little past your time, Coco. You're busy being a tennis player, but we do an Icky Vicky story of the week, and that is an early nominee. I like that a lot. I, I also oh think. Oh, gosh. I mean, I was telling people that how I got the point penalty, and the common denominator was, oh, you've done so much better to deserve something like that. <laughs> I was like, I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's so yeah. pathetic. <laughs> no, I've never heard the term mundane point penalty. That is an oxymoron, but that might have to be a new gimmick as well. Our mundane point penalty of the week, because that. Uh, I mean, that I, I did try to. When I was injured, I did try to sell uh, top 10, you know, mental breakdowns, whether it was racket breaks or something like that, where I could be the judge of it, but never got bought up. So I'll, I'll stick with that being mundane. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, give, I'll give that a score out of 10, like a two. Yeah, really a two. Yeah, it's a it's a light two. I agree. Um, well, then I guess to try and flip it, you talk about the adjustment you have to make on the court when you know the line calls are different. All of these different aspects. Uh, obviously, it being your first match. Um, what was it like for for you to be back out there? And then a question for both of you: When you're making that injury comeback after being, you know, top 100 players, being at the big venues, is playing at those smaller events, you know, just as much of an adjustment as being back out there in the first place? Well, for me personally, this is the first time I've had to make that adjustment from going from big events to smaller events. I have, like I was saying, I haven't played a smaller event in a very long time. I was top 30 for numerous amounts of years in a row. And just two years ago, I was top 10. And and when I decided to keep playing injured for the rest of the season at top 10, there was a numerous amount of things. I knew I wasn't healthy as far as like being able to compete at 100%. I had uh, floating osteophytes, which is just basically floating bone in my ankle that was causing inflammation and pain. And the only way to kind of let that subside is rest or go in and surgery and get it done. And I chose rest. I've never had surgery and knock on wood. Hopefully I'll never have surgery. And so that happened July at Wimbledon. And I'm hanging around like top, you know, in the teens. And I, going into the U.S. Open Series, I get that news. And I was like, well, if I can compete kind of at 80%, I think I can, you know, at least do some damage, um, keep my ranking up and, I thought on it, thought on it, and then I was like, no, I don't, I, I just don't feel right. Like, I don't feel playing this way. I'm tired of playing injured. I'm tired of not playing at my best standard and yeah. what I know and what I train for. Yeah. So I'm going to take a perspective ranking. And that would have been somewhere in the teens. I don't know. And a couple more days go by, and my coach, Pat Cash, was like, Coco, I really think you should play. I ended up playing, and unfortunately, that just caused more problems, and the WCA yeah. Top 10 rules came into effect, which means I have to play a certain amount of mandatory events, which are the Indian Wells, uh, the Miami tournaments, Madrid, Beijing, um, those, those types of tournaments. Otherwise, I'm getting fined for not appearing. So I will be getting fined 10 or thousands of dollars, just not Oof. showing. So I was at a big dilemma of taking the protective ranking or playing injured. And then me not playing at all and taking the protective ranking means I would probably lose upwards of, you know, 50 grand out of my oh, pocket wow. just because I'm injured and for no other reason. Oh, wow. So I decided to go play and... I continued to play injured and it only got worse. And I was kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. Like, what, what else do I do? I've decided to do this, but and it was good things. I won US Open, uh, doubles with Ash and made Singapore, which is a year in championship, lost in the semis. And yeah. I was, okay, I was okay going into the off season, um, some 2019 and. I was actually in Hawaii playing an exhibition and I felt like I had this turf toe in the same ankle that I had been having the osteophytes in. And so we taped it down and I taped my ankles. I braced them on top of that. And two days later after playing, I couldn't walk. And I thought, oh my gosh, I, I think I broke my toe uh, or my foot completely. 
Like I, my body literally refused for me to walk. And I went from playing competing training to two days later, I'm crawling around my hotel room and I'm not over exaggerating. Like I'm, I'm no wuss. I was not raised a wuss. <laughs> I mean, my mom, my mom was one of those, like, it's, you, you better not be crying unless there's blood <laughs> type of mom. And it's, I'm like, my little sister was there and I'm like, her name's Honey. I'm like, Honey, you gotta help me, like, up to the bathroom, the shower, like anything. I couldn't do anything. I'm crawling around. The anything that hit my right foot was just like an explosion of pain. And so I called my mom and I was like, I think I broke my foot. Like, I have no other explanation. She's like, Well, what'd you do? And I was like, I just played. I, I didn't do anything crazy. I just came on. So, came home. Christmas Day, I'm in the emergency room. Still unable to walk. Um, Pretty much like a month later, I finally got diagnosed because nothing came up on the x-ray. Nothing came up on the CT scan. They thought it was a bone infection. They thought I had um, all sorts of things going on uh, systemically. And it ended up being, being diagnosed as PRPS, which is complex regional pain syndrome. And it's your central nervous system overreacting to an injury, which my injury was I had a stress fracture in my toe, which I thought was your toe, and a second stress fracture in that same foot in the middle of my foot. Oh, my God. What what ended up happening is hypersensitivity of of the nerves, which was centrally located in my foot. And it's super rare, but they're seeing it a lot in uh, female athletes just because uh, they being it from your body is under so much stress, whether it's mental, physical, or both, for such a long period of time and pre-puberty, that it just finally has enough and your body goes fight or flight and just shuts down. And that's what happened to my foot that I was playing on injured for over, pretty much over a year. And so it took me, I couldn't walk for almost two months. I total atrophy in my right leg, which ended up losing uh, 12 pounds. Eight of it was muscle. And it was basically like a thick right leg and then my regular left leg, that it usually looks like. And from there, it was relearning how to walk and still dealing with the pain of the hypersensitive nerves. It's kind of like your foot's asleep and you know when when you're something in your body's like asleep and it hits something the kind yeah. of pain that goes through I times that by 10 but that was kind of what I was feeling and the therapy for that is tolerate as much pain as you can but we have to make your foot believe that there's nothing wrong with it that's the therapy and I'm taking nerve blockers I mean I I honestly was just like, I hope one day I don't feel any pain in my right foot. <laughs> like, I don't know if I'll, uh, no, it's legit. Like, I didn't know I was, if I was going to walk, if I was going to be able to run again. Like, none of this. I had no clue. Yeah, I remember I seeing still, some of your videos on Instagram, and I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, the recovery looked just so tedious and so slow. Yeah. I mean, I would go from one day being able to kind of lightly touch my foot on the ground to the next day. Not even close. I couldn't put a sock on my foot. I couldn't put a bed sheet over my foot. That's how hypersensitive it was. And finally, when it subsided, I was practicing. I was starting to train again, but I was still dealing with the stress fractures that were in my foot. So it was one thing to the next. Okay, March comes around. I'm still not running, and I had the mind, uh, in my mind, a goal of Wimbledon. Wimbledon came and went, and then. After that, I was like, well, what am, what, what's going on? I mean, like, here's the breath depression. I'm sure yeah. you probably have experienced, but it was just like, it was impossible to get me up off of the yeah. couch or out of my house. Like, I didn't want anyone to see me like this. What am I if I'm not a player? Like, all these yeah. thoughts are going through your head, and and everyone's asking what's wrong, and I'm like, look at me. I'm I'm nothing. I'm pathetic. Yeah. Like, it's as... as depressing as that sounds of how I was feeling and yeah. it took a lot of you know my friends my family just forcing me to do things and a lot of what I'd like to do is active and I couldn't be active so it was just like okay well I'll go and watch you guys do fun stuff <laughs> or like you know my brother would you know keep me around to therapy and then we'd go and 
to by the beach, but I couldn't walk on the sand because my foot was killing me. I didn't have any talents to be able to do it. And so finally, it was just progression and step by step. And I decided, you know, I, I think I can do U.S. Open. And I was watching uh, the Federer match in the final of Wimbledon. And I was like, I kind of softly committed to the uh, World Team Tennis match. And I was like, well, if I play it, and my agent's like, listen, if you play it, the protected ranking of wherever it was when you dropped in um, October of, of uh, last year is going to start. And you only have a certain window and a certain amount of tournaments to be able to use the protected ranking. I was like, yeah, I understand. I'm just kind of farting around. and But then finally, like, I go to Allison Risk's wedding. Where I finally saw Vicky. Yeah. I, I saw I saw everyone and I was having a good time and I was kind of and they're all talking about tennis and we had just all gotten back from Wimbledon and Allie had a great run out there and I didn't watch any tennis like none. But I just with Shelby I was like literally there's been three matches I've watched. It's Shelby's match when she played Charleston because we're super good friends and it was her first match back. So yeah, I final with was said, and then I watched another one of Shelly's matches at Templeton, and I was just and I I was like, you know what, screw it, I'm gonna do it. Like I'm gonna go play. So I played the World Team Tennis match. I hadn't played a single live point, not even in practice, since uh, Christmas Day, and here I am playing Taylor Townsend uh, in team tennis. I ended up winning winning that match and playing doubles and I was like, oh, I'm really slow right now. Like, this is <laughs> quick. Like, playing doubles, I thought I would move because I knew this was what I was supposed to do, but I was like, oh, I almost just got hit by the ball. Like, I couldn't do that. <laughs> and so I played San Jose and I love it there and I have some family that lives in San Jose and, you know, the tournament is really special when I was at Stanford. I really enjoyed it. I had some great success there and Played it and beat, won my first round against a girl that I, I mean, I should know who these people are at this point, but I, like I said, I wasn't watching any tennis, so I didn't know who was winning, who was losing, what's going on. And being gone for a year, I, I, there was new people around. Like, like who are these people? Like, <laughs> who, who, who is Kova? Like, I don't even know what she looks like. And I, one of the physios pointed her out like that, that's Kova and I was like oh okay she's super young how old is she and like 20 I think or something like that I was like oh that's why I don't know and it's probably like her first year in the inside top 100 or something like that you know making yeah. her way up the ranking and that's awesome but I was like so out of tennis and I removed myself unintentionally and intentionally but I was like just clueless which was almost better where I didn't have to care and then I beat yeah. her in the first round, and I played Sabalenka in the second round and lost to her. And I was like, okay, I'm a little bit behind in and, and match play, and I got to get in difficult situations again. Like, I'd completely forgotten how to serve out a match, like how much pressure that is and how much yeah. like nerves come into play. And even just, like, my points, like, uh, those kind of feelings that were coming up again, I hadn't experience in over a year so I was like what do I do here <laughs> so, many, so many of those things were going on and that's why I, I, I'm really enjoying playing right now and playing these smaller events it's great because you can stay locally um, in the US and play and, and play as much as I want or as little as I want with no consequences which is really great yeah, that, that Templeton tournament was convenient, not too far from San Diego, I guess. A bit of a hike, but not too Yeah, far. I couldn't drive it. I didn't want to drive it. It was like six hours to drive, and it's, so I flew up to San Francisco and then drove down, which was like three hours. So I cut it in half. It was, it's like in a weird spot for, for me. It's too far. Me because yeah. LA traffic blows. Like, that's, that's ridiculous. Oh, LA traffic is tough. <laughs> yeah. Um. I guess my follow-up question is, I guess it'd be a two-part question here, but where where are you at now, like pain-wise? And also, um, I guess my part two question would be, what are your goals kind of for the end of the year? Like you said, you're just kind of coming back. Are you just um, 
excited to be back out there training or are you kind of focusing on like performance goals already for the end of the year? I, I have performance goals. I actually, that was one thing I realized that I hadn't set to myself uh, was performance goals. And that I do every single year. I've watched some goals that I've written down in my little notebook and I do performance goals every year. And, and this year never really even happened for me. I had to reset what I actually wanted out of this year. Yeah. And so since I'm only playing four tournaments, uh, potentially maybe five, I don't know. I have a wedding that I'm supposed to go to during the Vegas tournament. And <laughs> I know I'm getting old. All my friends are getting married. And it's actually a lot of it's being enjoying what I'm doing. That's first and foremost. And then second of all, it's, also making sure I'm pain-free and my foot is fine uh, right now. I mean, it's still, I lose it a little bit in space. Like, I don't know where it is um, if I get too tired, which is kind of a weird feeling. Like, you don't think about picking your foot up and putting it down, really. <laughs> but when I when I think of, like, doing a split step and I think my foot is even and I land funny, like I killed myself at the US Open, I twisted my ankle because I thought my foot was even doing a split step and cutting and it really wasn't <laughs> and I absolutely ate it and hurt myself but okay. I'm all good I'm totally fine it's <laughs> like a charity page <laughs> it, it was it, it's getting better at doing things again uh, I mean and right now it's like other things creep up like I haven't served that much in a tournament or in practice day after day playing matches and I'm like gosh my arm is killing me my shoulder my back like all these other things that you just like, take for granted in in general when you're when you're playing every single week and you know the training and this is all you do and i'm like gosh i haven't moved my arm like this in months like <laughs> killing me <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, if you're ever in the need to feel young, come on the pod. We'll talk some more cereal. We'll hit some other cartoons. Yeah, so, you know, we'll uh, work our way around. But, and I promise we'll stop talking about the stuff soon. Um, but I do want to ask, and I am quoting uh, a firsthand source when I say, to, to, to describe your 2018 season, That's honestly, I would put, no, this is this is you in, in an ESPN article saying, honestly, I would put 2018 into a dumpster and light it on fire. Uh, the, the reason I bring up that quote, which is an excellent quote, but with 2018 having gone the way it did with being out at the front half of 2019, you talked about the joy you have right now in playing tennis. How hard is it for you to focus just on getting back on the court, doing the things necessary to rehab and get healthy without thinking of, you know, I want to get back to the top 10 right away. How do you keep that perspective throughout it all? Well, 2018, let me just say this. It was, like I was saying earlier, I had a different agenda than the people around me of me actually playing. And, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, and me playing 2018 injured was the dumbest thing I could have done. And that's why I was in that mind frame of, you know, this was so stupid. I am so miserable. Because I, I do hold myself to a very high standard. I train my butt off week in and week out to perform and play well. And it's one of the hardest feelings in the world to swallow is having people watch you fail after you've worked so hard because it, you know, it's one thing to be by yourself and fail, but have thousands of people watch you live and do it, let alone on TV and then have to deal with the consequences of that was, it was really tough to swallow for me yeah. personally. Yeah. I, I couldn't really handle it all that well. So that's why I was like, you know what, this, this year was so stupid. I hated it. You know, this, this absolute like mayhem for me because I had never been in that predicament of things felt out of my control when in reality it was all within my control. I could have said no. I could have taken the L and gone away and that sort of thing, but I chose not to. And that's why yeah. I was in such a crummy mood about it because I was like you know what I knew better like before I put myself in this situation I knew better I knew not to do this and I still did it anyway 
So it was kind of tough just to like get out of that. And when I finally did, I was injured again. So it was like a constant whirlwind of just hurt and turmoil and and here I am. But you know, it's it's one of the things that make people like me or really dislike me is you know what, I'm authentic. I'm gonna just say things like, <laughs> you know what, put twenty eighteen in a dumpster and light it on fire <laughs> and, and people aren't going to understand that why does she feel like this they don't know that i was injured for eight to ten months out of that uh, out of that year like that's no fun why would you why would you want to go and show up to work sick every day and <laughs> through the office and and have people stare at you like what's wrong with this person like they actually perform a lot better you know that comp- and it's like, listen, I'm freaking trying. <laughs> I literally can't. Like, and so that was that was kind of like why I was such a, a turd, for lack of a better term, <laughs> that 2018 year. And and when 2018 was done, I was like, finally, like, thank God. Like, I I went to uh, Thailand. I had a great time with my friends, and I was like, cool, I'm ready to go. Like, I'm down to train hard get back at it, do the things I normally do, and then I got injured again. So it was just like a bad turmoil spell. I'm still yeah. waiting for my invite on a vacation. <laughs> You're never around. Like, I, I literally have invited you or been like, yeah, let's do it. And then you're like, oh, okay, I'm going to go do something else. I'm like, cool, all right. All right. So give me another time. I'm always down to bad decisions. So everyone <laughs> Yeah, that explains coming on this podcast. But for you, uh, in in general, uh, yeah, sorry, did uh, uh But for you, uh, you know, your last name Vandway. I'm sure you've heard it all the time. Oh my God, you're Coco. What about Kiki? Um, and for you to have not only uh, you know the support group where your mother was an Olympian swimmer, you have other people you can turn to who have had professional sporting careers, uh, even you know players who you're friends with who you can turn to for different advice how helpful and integral is that throughout the rehab process yeah it, it was help i mean in general through my career it's kind of been a, a interesting road for me having those um outsourced resources and you know the way it's kind of come about it's been great but also terrible because you have you know every, everyone goes about rehab a different way and like I, I kind of explained about my mom is what she got me to where I was by driving me and pushing me the same way she drove and pushed pushed herself. And it may not be right for everyone, but it was certainly right for me. Because look at where I am now. She produced a top ten in the world player, Grand Slam, where like it worked. So when it came down to the rehab, she pushes herself in a totally different way than I would. Sometimes it was good and sometimes it was bad of like, you know, I, I was being a wimp and like things hurt. I feel sorry for myself. And she's like, go get in the pool and do your therapy. What's wrong with you? Stop being, (laughs) (laughs) which I needed. But then there was bad times of like, no, I just want to be taken care of like right now. Like I just, and those kind of mixed emotions going on, you know? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, Thankfully, I haven't had the sort of you know. What kind of? I'm not a professional athlete. When I'm injured, it's like oh, so I'm not working out today. Big whoop. Uh, you know, three Reese's instead of six. Uh, so it's a. I like. I can understand though how frustrating it must be. I was Vicky and I were on the phone earlier, and I was yelling at my microphone because it wasn't working. And you know, for someone doing a podcast, the microphone is like an ankle for tennis. It's like I need you to work. So I can only imagine that sort of pent up frustration. But for you you talked about uh you know you've got a couple of tournaments left the the joy again you're having on the court for you in 2019 just to sort of wrap up where you're at is it more just get comfortable again on court find rhythm heading into 2020 or you know are are you focused on a specific result seeing specific things from your game uh before you move on i think both of them go hand in hand um getting consistent results uh, it's good feeling what it's like to win again, feeling what it's like to lose again and bounce back. I mean, those are all important things uh, to focus on as well as, you know, getting the rhythm of what I like to do, how I like to play tennis. And on top of that, 
enjoying what I'm doing. I think I played for over a year of really not enjoying what I was doing. I mean, I got the top 10 and I was hating what it was, what was going on around me. So now it's kind of like a resurgence of my own career and enjoying playing the way I want to play, enjoying travel, the competition, the good and the bad of it all, getting those point penalties from an umpire when you don't agree or, or the parts where you get to see friends that you haven't seen in forever and talk the nonsense that I really enjoy talking. Um, but it, it, it goes hand in hand with everything. you got to get used to all that again. And so that is, is so tough. Like I'm leaving in two days to go to Europe and I'm in the midst of literally having a full day of doing laundry and going to the supermarket and getting my toiletries and making sure everything's ready for me to go. Like I haven't done that in forever. So it's <laughs> those little things that, that um, I'm getting used to all over again. Of course. And on top of all of that, you know, the coming back from injury, the rehab process and whatnot, you threw uh, Tennis Channel's My Tennis Life into the equation this season. We as tennis fans have had the privilege of getting to, you know, see snippets of you uh, of your year all season long, whether it's from your fantasy football team to golfing expeditions. I saw something about a catch-up gate. I didn't really inquire, but uh, so that was a thing at one point. Just to throw that into the mix this season, kind of get that chance to share what you're going through with your friends. I guess I'll frame it like this. Bird or a blessing to get to do that this season? Oh. <laughs> I, I think, I think um, it's great to uh, be able to share insights in my life. The early episodes were um, the peak of my depression, really, um, in my rehab and, and what I was doing, where I was going for the first couple episodes and that was a big burden because they're like yeah can you send us some content that's not you doing rehab or you know sitting in, in the pool or whatever and I'm like literally it's all I'm doing like I, I can't drive it's my right foot like I, you want to see me on the couch like napping I don't feel like there's nothing else going on You should have. I didn't have any content for the wedding because I wasn't. And that's one thing. I'm not on my phone all that much. Like one of those people that like take photos everywhere and videos and that sort of thing. But it's been a a blessing because I've had my own narrative. And like I've touched on a couple different times, a lot of narrative is dictated by media or you know what perception um people want to sell and and things like that and to be able to share my own narrative for myself has been great it's been very cathartic it's been very enjoyable and you know it's it's funny uh, a lot of people you know come up to me even at my own tennis club which i i practice at you know all the time it's like one of the things i get all the time is Oh, you're you're way taller than I thought you were. That's one. <laughs> and then the, and then the second one is, oh, you're so much nicer than I thought you were. And I'm like, okay, nice to meet you too. <laughs> I think everyone's petrified of you until they meet you. <laughs> Seriously, like I, I'm like I'm pretty nice. Like yeah, for sure I'm not. Bubbly Vicky over here, personality. <laughs> but like, hey, when I hang out, like I said, I'm down for a good time, and and I'm always down for for bad decisions, and like, <laughs> I like to enjoy myself, and I'm really like, I'm one of the best friends you could ever have, self-proclaimed. Like <laughs> on the inside, like I'm very quiet, and that quiet comes off as like, I don't know, like. Uh, resting face. That's a terrible term. I don't know. I don't even have a good resting face. Like, like I'm just here. I don't, know. I don't think I've ever seen a resting face from you. No, I don't. I don't carry one, but people are like terrified. It's like just lingering. I don't know. <laughs> No, that's good. That's a mini break first, for sure. We'll throw that in the old times. I like that a lot. My I think... main point penalty and arresting bitch. I'm, really trying, to, I'm trying to like think, what are we going to go with for the episode title? And it's just an embarrassment of riches. It's like, oh my God. You could just do the acronym RBF. Yeah. <laughs> 
No, <laughs> there's actually a great YouTube video about that, so it's one of my favorites. Yeah, no, we'll call it a, we'll call it a CRPS so that we can raise some awareness about complex regional pain syndrome. Uh, we'll we'll keep yeah, that. It is figuratively and literally. Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, a, a ton of great uh, stuff for you. Yeah, you've had so many great results throughout your career. Sorry, I'm trying to rein it back in. I'm like, oh, my God, where do we go from here? Tennis again, I'm sorry, full of boring. That's good. That's good. I'm ready for this again. I, I'm not bubbly Vicky either. I'll come back at you. Um, but uh, with that in mind, uh, one of the fun parts of your comeback tour from a fan perspective is the way you threw yourself back into the doubles game, partnering up with recent Cracked Interviews guest Bethany Maddox-Sands to see you two back on the court. Uh, your contrast of personalities. I think there was the Jimmy Fallon clip that she, you know, I think it was the tennis-ish or whatever, and you see your reaction during it as well. Uh, for you to be in your first moments back on the court to get to share that experience with her, uh, was that you know something you guys had planned on playing together before and the opportunity was just right? Was it you know just a spur of the moment? What led to that decision? And you could see the joy. You know, did you enjoy the you know getting to play with her? Yes, I always love playing with Bethany. Um, <laughs> no, it was awful. We... Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Jimmy Fallon's kid, I had no idea what was happening. I was like, what is she saying? Like, I mean, like, I, I give her a hard time, and we're we're really good friends. Like, we, we basically get together during my birthday, which is in December, and always do something that's, you know, pretty reckless abandon. Um, and it's, which I will not tell any of the stories on, on here. That's for uh, some sort of book when we're both retired, and we can tell these stories but um they are all adults uh and i i started playing doubles of destiny for the olympics one year and we got our first uh attempt together during a fed cup tie and we would only just kind of play during that time and we were, were undefeated there and uh she she texted me during the 2016 year was like you want to try for real like let's see if we can play in a tournament and we played indian wells and we won indian wells <laughs> we had a great time and we we really got to know each other and fell in love with uh uh our mutual love of tequila which vicky has her own story with me with me and tequila which i'll let her share <laughs> and it was um it was just fun playing with her and her whole vibe is is similar to my personality it's it's but we just show it very differently like it's when we're on the court we pump each other up and I'm definitely the the kind of motor cage for the situation where I I am kind of raising the energy for her and she explodes it so it's kind of like fuel to a match kind of thing and it which makes it great for when we play together and when people watch us play together, they love it. And actually leading up to the U.S. Open, she was sending me, <laughs> I, I'm calling it subliminal messages because <laughs> not all the time was I coherent. Um, she was texting me for one reason or another. I was either like on all sorts of drugs or in pain or just like not wanting to deal with tennis life. And she was sending me like, photos of the gold medal she won for uh the olympics with jack she was sending me her grand slam trophies like pictures of her hitting like trash talking all this stuff and it's like come on let's play let's play together because lucy had retired and she wanted to have a double partner and i just like wouldn't respond to anything kind of related like if she wanted to talk to me about other stuff i would respond to her text messages Otherwise, I was leaving her on red, like, way hard. I was, like, catfishing her. Like, and so when I decided to play this year during World Team Tennis, first thing I did was hit up B, and I was like, yo, B, U.S. Open or what? And she's like, dude, I'm playing with somebody else. Like, I'm like, what? Are you crazy? Like, I thought this was, like, a done deal. Ash was already set up, like, what am I, sloppy seconds to everyone now? I'm not going to make sloppy thirds to anybody. This is crazy. So I'm kind of like, I, I talked to her again in San Jose. I'm like, yo, stomp. 
stump, whoever it is, like, come on. And she's like, no, 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 I'm just waiting to hear back from uh, Flipkins. I don't know what she's doing, but we were, we had already talked that we're going to do it. We're going to play the uh, U.S. Open Series. I'm like, oh, come on, Kirsten. Like, you don't want to play with B, like all this stuff. Like, just kind of like get on mind tricks, like just putting it out in the universe. And and so she texted me, I think it was like, probably in San Jose or something. I forget where, where I was. I'm at home. And she's like, all right, Cincinnati, U.S. Open, let's do it. We played Cincinnati, made semis, and we played U.S. Open, lost in a tough one there. And it was just fun to be back out there um, with her and playing and competing and, and dealing with all the hoopla that she brings with the tennis-ish, whatever, <laughs> she did and, and the WTA making us do, like, it through the whole week because we're the only people with personality that they can actually corral a little bit sometimes. Barely, like, scarily. Again, just in sarcasm, so no one twists that as like a knock on anybody. <laughs> and, then, and then she gets me to do all these stupid things like the WTA fantasy. I've never done a fantasy football, and I was dealing with the catch-up gate, which was like a serious problem for me. I was uh, flying home from the U.S. Open, and I'm, all, I'm trying to use the airplane Wi-Fi to do this draft, this live draft. And we're supposed to be like filming like while we're doing the draft and I'm like trying to be like a weirdo on the plane that's like filming themselves like okay guys I'm about to draft like so so I'm like this weird high whisper going on and repeating and I still catch up on my sweater and I was like gosh I got like from one to the next I had like this giant ketchup stain on me trying to get water and so I just like does it you know what, the catch-up gate, like, I got to recover from this. Champions of Justice, Billy Jean King said. Like, I'm just making this a complete spoof of myself. Because I was like, if I take this seriously at all, I'm going to look like an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the best there is, because I've done, I've recorded podcasts where there are other people in the room. And so the high-powered whisper is actually one of the funny things when you're like, okay, I need to talk loud enough so you can hear me. And it's just like barely loud enough to get the job done. That's and you got great. the plane in the background. Like, just like you know, I'm thinking to myself, watch. They're not going to be able to hear a darn thing. <laughs> and everyone's like side texting the whole time. I'm like, guys, I'm on an airplane. Like, I'm on my iPad and my phone. Like, and I, I'm expensing this Wi-Fi of the WTA because they're forcing you to do it. <laughs> and everyone was like, saying like yeah you're not gonna buy the wi-fi coco you're so cheap like you're gonna be on auto draft and i was like yo 100 percent, i'm that cheap and then finally <laughs> the guy chase her in the wta was like coco you can make sense i was like done <laughs> no, the guy's texting you. He's like, actually, can you send us the rehab videos instead? Like, this is just not yeah, going to work. Seriously. <laughs> I know. It's like, it's way more entertaining that way than me having a total conundrum with the ketchup all over my sweater and not being able to take my sweater off and on an airplane. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's great. Well, you mentioned some stories you have with Vicky. I sort of alluded to this earlier, but one of the things we always like to do when we have Vicky on, it's our Icky Vicky story of the week. Vicky, being the lovely pro that she is with her wealth of experience, likes to share some funny tidbits with us and maybe a story of her and her guests. So, West off with that in mind, give me an Icky Vicky sound effect. And Vicky, give us our story for the week. Oh, God. So Coco and I were texting back and forth a few times. We, <laughs> yeah, we have so many stories. I don't know. <laughs> we have so many stories. So people don't know this, but um, in 2016, I actually lived with Coco for, I think it was three or four months. Um, part of me being petrified of her until I met her as well. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Now she's definitely top three, one of my favorite people in the world. So um I I think I'm gonna go I'm, you know what story I'm gonna start with so and Coco <laughs> chime in at any point because this is probably one of the most embarrassing things I've ever said in my life 
So um, I spent my 21st birthday happened to occur when I was living with Coco and we were trying to figure out what to do. And I never really like it drank that the much, week, mind you. During the week, it wasn't on a weekend. It like was during the week and I'm like, well, I can't take you out because like I got a train sort of thing. So I was like, best case scenario, let's just go buy alcohol, get that ID out, like flash it, all that stuff, get started somewhere, you know? <laughs> so that's that's what we decided to do. We decided to get some alcohol, have a little situation at the house. So I'm sitting at home and Coco rolls in with just, I think it was like two or three bags of alcohol, lemon juice. She was about to cook up a cocktail. And I was going to make opened- a margarita. <laughs> <laughs> And she opens the plastic bag, and of course, it was tequila. And I was like, oh my gosh, yay, what are we going to have, patron? <laughs> That's what she thought the name of the tequila was, was patron. And, patron. Patron. and I kind of looked at her like, what are you talking about? And I was like, it's, it's called Patron. And she's like, oh my God. And then she, we, I think we, like, Facebook lived it or Instagram lived it, like, us, <laughs> yeah. uh, making a mug and, and all that stuff. And I'm pretty sure your exact <laughs> words after I said that were, get the f*** out of my house. <laughs> I was like, you gotta know how to call Tequila by its proper name, not Patron. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. We have so many stories, but I feel like that one really... <laughs> sums up my whole time that I spent at your house <laughs> well that but also also I'm gonna chime in on one of my favorite stories with Nikki is we both have a terrifying fear of ghosts like we're both <laughs> believers like in spirits and that sort of thing and there a fun fact is my house is totally haunted I just think so and it's it's not like the whole house, even though it kind of is the whole house. It's like segregated as one room. And I, I have um, Duchess and, and a puppy that we rescued named Puppy. And they both like kind of stare at this like one room. And it's, I, I dubbed it the haunted room. And my mom, <laughs> being a believer that she is too, gets me like this EVP like recorder. So Vicky and I decide one night to like put the recorder out and ask questions. I think it's my grandma. Oh God, I, I think it's my grandma this. who I'm named after. And we got so scared asking the questions <laughs> with all the lights on, mind you. Like, <laughs> and we're sitting like on the floor, like, like I call my grandmother Angel. I was like, Angel, um, you know, if this is you, like, can you tell us? And we'd be quiet. And I'd like, <laughs> be like, no, Coco, stop. I just want to make sure. And I still haven't listened back to it. Like, we tried to listen back to it to see if it was, like, any good. And we both couldn't get through it. <laughs> we were really trying to be Ghostbusters. Like, if you can hear us, like, flip the light switch off. And we're like, oh, God, it's going to be yeah. <laughs> So then I guess this week's Icky Vicky story of the week brought to you by Ghostbusters 4, Return of the Patrons. Um, we really appreciate it. <laughs> For any ghost listeners on here, like, listen, stop haunting me. I don't like it. Like, it scares me. And any Ghostbusters that listen, I want to do a proper ghost hunt. Like, that is a life goal i'm gonna get like the whole gear i want to have a sound box like i li- i watch those tv shows and i'm like fully invested <laughs> i'm not kidding well the uh the ghost tennis podcast listener crossover is quite high so i get why you'd come on here to air that um, <laughs> yeah. also there's a hundred percent chance if you ask tennis channel they would let you expense a ghostbuster coming to your house like 100 <laughs> percent <laughs> so, that's a good idea. I didn't even think about that. I'm all about content. Things out. Like, yeah. you just fly out to California. <laughs> you know, I'd be there in a heartbeat if you think if you pulled that off. I'd be there. We would be freaking terrified. Oh my gosh. <laughs> no, that's 100% on the My Tennis Life season finale. That's how we're going to roll out. Uh, that's a yeah, good idea. Uh, Email is like being it. sent right now. Oh my god, I'm <laughs> flying out. No, this is happening, and we're gonna have Maria be in the house too in case. <laughs> Maria scares us so bad. 
Well, then, with that in mind, there's one last thing I want to do, and you've been so kind with your time, uh, Coco, but we like to run all of our guests through a rapid-fire segment. Rapid-fire more in that I'm going to ask a lot of questions in a short period of time, and, you know, however long you want to give for your answer, go for it. Does that sound good to you? I'm ready. I just had a sip of La Croix, so I'm ready. (laughs) (laughs) All right, with that in mind, Westoff, give me a rapid-fire sound effect, please. All right, we'll start out here. We didn't get to talk about any of the fun stuff. So 2017, better highlight for you. Australian Open semifinal, U.S. Open semifinal, 8-0 in Fed Cup. Uh, 8-0 in Fed Cup and winning the title. Yeah. All right, this isn't a rapid fire, but 8-0 in Fed Cup is f***ing ridiculous. That's unreal. Uh, Humble brag. Uh, That was a lot of hard work. (laughs) <laughs> um, but it was fun. I love playing for my country, and I'll do it every single time. I sacrifice a lot to, to get it there. And a part of that was having great girls around me to sacrifice it with me. And honestly, that's why Bethany and I are so close. Shelby and I are so close. Allie and I are so close. Because each and every tie, we were sacrificing our time and effort to get out there and play for our country on a serious note. Yeah, and this may be too soon, but chances you hurt your ankle initially in the after party. Dude, what a question. Never, <laughs> never. Sobriety is very low, and I'm at my best athletic ability. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like to hear it. All right, well then, in that, you talked about you're in a fantasy football league. Uh, is Coco Vandoy's team taking home the title this year? I freaking hope so. I'm hoping for uh, beginner's luck uh, wins me the title. <laughs> yeah, I mean. I have no idea what I'm doing. Like, <laughs> I'm just hoping I'm not like Lauren Davis and playing Antonio Brown when he's not even in the league. So <laughs> oh, I'm doing well so far. I like it. All right. During the past year, you got the chance to chat with Dr. Phil. Where does that rank in your tennis so- or your media experiences? No, what was better? I played tennis with him afterwards. That was better at his court at his house. So that's the part you didn't get to see. Larry King was also really cool. I talked with him. Um, I'm trying to think. Of course, you guys. Got to make that. (laughs) So you guys edit me really well. Yeah, no, there were a ton of shit in that 10 to 12 minute range. I think we're leaving them all in. Yeah, I know. Good luck finding enough sound effects to beat that out. It goes on TV. Like, I don't get it. Exactly. No, it's actually just going to be ducks migrating for two minutes. That's this podcast. It's got to be like a disclaimer. Like, you're about to listen to 35 shit. And, um,. Twenty-five of them are from Coco, and the other five are between you two. Uh, No, there's this is stupid, but looking back, there was a moment where you're like, "Yeah," and I don't know if people think is a bad word, and like it's just going to be completely quacked out. And so, like, I really wonder what people are going to be thinking. Like, God, what did she say there? Oh my God, (laughs) we're going to have to be like, it starts with an S. <laughs> yeah, you hit the S is what we'll call it, uh, and that's all the letters. Yeah, so I like it. All right, we'll go now. More basic questions. Your favorite warm up song? I don't listen to music before I play, but um, which most of my superstition life is more like I lost a bunch of matches listening to music while I warmed up, so I don't do that. But I will listen to music. As I pack my clothes, getting ready to go, and usually it's just like what I'm listening to at the moment. Um, for a while, it was uh, well, my song that I always started with was uh, I think it was For Real Love. I forget the <laughs> title, uh, the artist of it, because I always get to my uh, Aussie semis. That's what I started with every time I started packing my stuff to go to the courts. Yep. I, I have to ask <laughs> I have to ask what your favorite sushi roll is. Oh, it's a disco inferno at uh Station Sushi and uh sorry, Smana Beach. It's literally what I How many times did we go there? Oh we lived just once a week. Like literally like funded the place once a week. 
Um, all right, this is a more serious one, but I know you've done work uh, with Corey's Crusade, which is raising funds and awareness and trying to develop effective, uh, effective therapies for ALS. Uh, can you talk a little bit about your work with them? Yeah, I was actually kind of stumbled upon uh, Corey and his story. I uh, have mutual friends that uh, know Corey and his family really well from Northern California. My 18 Nationals host family, who I'm still very close with, uh, they grew up with Corey. My agent, Matt Elephant, grew up with Corey, and they both separately asked me if I could do this event. And I was like, yeah, sure, no problem. I'll fly up there. I was in Northern California. I'll fly up there and, and go do it. So that was the first time I ever met Corey. I didn't know much about his story or anything like that besides just like people explaining it to me. And then I sat down and I talked with Corey and his family. And they had a court opening in Piedmont. And we were talking some crap about Mackey because he's from Piedmont in that area. And, you know, I, just for fun. And he was playing, I think, a French Open or something like that, doing really well. And so that was my first interaction. And I've continued to um, be supportive in that when the WCA asked me if I wanted to highlight anything that I've been doing recently charity-wise. And I thought it was a great cause and a great story. And not only for myself personally, because I was going through – you know, my own depression of being injured, not playing and all this stuff and seeing Corey and his right outlook on, on life and, and what he's doing and what his mission is. It's really self-motivating uh, for me. Like what, I, what I'm going through isn't that bad. So it was, it was a great catalyst too, um, to be a part of it and still being a part of it. It's so cool when we get to see players do those sorts of uh, outreach, especially, you know, at Cincinnati. I, I'm not going to lie, I did a little social media stalking to get ready for this podcast. I saw you, you know, went to the hospital with Cincinnati. It's part of the fun kids uh, programs and activities they do. And so it's really cool to get to see players do that. But to completely switch gears for our last uh, question, we talked about mundane point penalties at from the get-go. Uh, and for our listeners are aware, our name, Cracked Rackets, obviously a play on people who crack their rackets during match. So my last question to you, Coco, the last time you cracked a racket was? <laughs> well, it's been a while um, because I haven't played this year. So I'm going to say US, U.S. Open last year. But the question you should have asked is what's my favorite uh, cracking of a racket? And that was, I'm going to tell it to you anyway. So <laughs> it was, um, it was, I was a junior practicing and this was before I was sponsored any sort of racket deal. It's actually not the rackets I'm playing with right now. Um, it was a different racket company and I was practicing at the USDA and this is, it's my all time favorite racket. Right now. <laughs> I'm in Boca and I was training with the USDA for. Uh, a little bit, and I was practicing with Juliet Boker up uh, every single day, because there was nobody out there. Before, it was a mecca of what it is, and a training facility of what it is, and and all these people, and it was uh, sharing the site with the Everett Academy, and so it was just Julia and I, and Tom Goldston was our coach. And Julia is one of the toughest players I've ever had to play day in and day out. She is really darn good when it comes to playing match points in practice. And I am the complete opposite. And even <laughs> I'm one of the worst practice match players. I lose more times than I'll ever win. I just can't get into the fighting mode of like, I'm going to, I'm going to kill you for your lunch money. Kind of, kind of mentality that I get into to play an actual match. And so I get in, I'm playing, whatever. And, and I'm kind of fed up with being away from home. And gosh, I've practiced with Julia every single day for the last three months. Like, I'm tired of her kicking my butt every <laughs> single day. But not like, not like six four, or like seven five. It's like it's so deep down. Like it's bad. Oh and I, it's we're warming up for our daily match. <laughs> and I first game. I miss an approach shot and into the net and I take that racket and I snap it right over my leg, <laughs> right over my leg, like my thigh. And it didn't break all the way. <laughs> and I am so 
basically I'm such a psychopath like, <laughs> at this moment. Like I, I've calmed down substantially. I go again to break it and I sliced up my whole leg because it's like all <laughs> splintered and whatever. And I'm like, I calmly, like a crazy person, like I grew up with an older brother. I've had 64 stitches in my forehead from just getting hit in the head with a baseball bat, like playing with guys. Like it's, this is like, so I'm bleeding down my leg because I got like shards of whatever in my leg. <laughs> and it's, it's like, whatever. I throw my racket at the bag and grab a new racket. I go out to continue to play. <laughs> and Tom Gullickson's like, so sorry, I think practice is done. And I'm like, you know what? You're right. I'm, I'm so glad. <laughs> I don't want to shout here. Like, it's over for me. And I, I go back and I pack up my stuff and I get scolded a little bit by um, one of my favorite coaches of all time at the SGA. And I'm sure you can attest, Vicky, is Richard Ashby. I don't like kind of like scolds me. <laughs> um, of not being a good example to the younger kids that are there, and I was like, "Oh, you're right, Richard. I'm crying. I'm like, I'm so sorry." Just only Richard can do that to us. <laughs> Literally, only Richard can like calmly sit you down, talk to you one on one, and and like make you have an epiphany. Like, I really screwed up here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was not, I was not using the Yonix racket at the time. It was a very different racket. So just so we're clear, don't come after her. Yes. <laughs> Please do not. It was long before I was playing with Yonix. <laughs> clear. It's clear the two takeaways from this podcast: you are much nicer and much taller than people would expect. So I really, yeah. uh, we really. Seriously, I think her ankle braces cut me down like three inches. Of my- <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm glad to hear, but seriously, Coco, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Vicky, you're a stud as always, and uh, yeah, let's let's do this again sometime. This was a blast. That was so yeah, fun. Thanks, Coco. Yeah, thank you so much. All right, take care, everyone. Okay, bye. Bye.